Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mercy Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. We're going back to EastEnders at the beginning again now on Distinct Nostalgia as we continue our celebration of the show in its 35th year. Ashley's been speaking to one of the original Albert Square legends. Stand by for lots of real-life stories of the East End as we meet Peter Dean, who played Ian's dad and Kathy's husband, Pete Beale. Let those memories come flooding back. Peter, lovely to chat to you for Distinct Nostalgia. We, we've been chatting to all sorts of people from EastEnders uh, in the 35th year. We did June Brown back in uh, February uh, when she revealed to us that she was um, not going to go back and play play Dots and it went completely viral all over the place. <laughs> um, she really caused a stir. Uh, but we've also been catching up with all sorts of different people. That's why we wanted to talk to you, you know, as being one of the original um, EastEnders. Take us back, if you can, to before uh, EastEnders, I mean, you, you'd had quite an illustrious career. And just tell us how you got into acting. Were you sort of, am I right in saying it was something to do with um, Prunella Scales or something? Tell me a bit more about that. Yes, I was working uh, in a petticoat lane uh, and she was filming, uh, a, I forget what the programme was. Anyway, I, was, I got on the, uh, she heard me spieling and like, which means like talking, like selling things. And uh, she, I was quoting Shakespeare, uh, Ina Barnabas. I was selling sheets and I was throwing them out and doing the, uh, the, the winds were lovesick with them and that kind of thing. And she asked me where I got it from. And I did tell her the story about my grandmother was at Jewelry Lane Theatre. And because I was born just before the war, you know, well, the same time the the year that war broke out that uh and uh I was like dyslexic so she brought me up and uh anyway she realized there was something wrong with me my grandmother and she sent me off to a place called Tonby Hall I know about it, you've heard of it it was a big socialist family like Polly Toynbee and that and she uh I learned Shakespeare there because I've got this bad like impediment at the time because uh, I've got a short tongue, so in, they, in them days they never cut it underneath. But anyway, this lady called Dorothy Black, and that she taught me Shakespeare, it should be taught. And that leads me up to the Petticoat Lane when I was quoting the Shakespeare, and uh, she, she said, why don't you go and do something about it? Where did you learn it? And I told her that story, and uh, I said, no, I don't want to go to drama school. I said, you know, in them days, it was a bit uh, funny about it. And uh, so I went to Joan Littlewood at Stratford East and uh, I cracked away from there and started working. And uh, I say to children now, have got dyslexical things. I say, you know, you, if you try hard, you can do it. You know, don't worry about... You know, I saw and put myself up as an example. Well, that's how I got started, really. Because thanks to Penella, she was quite amused what I was doing, and uh, that's how that's how it all started. You were quite young at this point, weren't you? Well, I say young. No, the reason I didn't go to drama school because I was about twenty odd. But but before oh, at that time we put Penella scales, yes. But when uh, she saw me in Petticoat Lane, that's when I was getting older. So you, you had a string of successes on television, didn't you? You were in all sorts of different things, uh, from Minder and Shoestring and the Chinese Detective and things like that. And uh, you were also, way before um, uh, EastEnders, you also starred in Coronation Street. Tell us a little bit about that. I finished a programme called Law and Order and uh, with Derek Martin. We always He's always the policeman, I'm always the villain. I think we both got East End faces, you know. And... Uh, yeah, uh, I loved, the, loved it at Coronation Street. Uh, I think they was going to try and fix me up with Deirdre. I played a character called Fangio, an Italian lorry driver, that every time we had a trip to Manchester, that I, you know, I end, ended up in the programme. So that was a great uh, experience. Met some lovely people like Les Dawn and... People like that, Johnny Biggs, and uh, him being an ex-Londoner. I think Law and Order actually put me on the map. 
which was the only programme shown in the House of Parliament, by all accounts. Uh, Maggie Thatcher tried to stop it. And uh, anyway, uh, we done Law and Order. Derek played the policeman, Derek Martin, who, I say, was in EastEnders. Uh, it was Tony Garnett and uh, Les Blair directed it. And uh, it moved a lot of people. So that's how really it put me on the map. That did. I've done Z Cars, Softly, Softly, uh, Homish and Son. You know, worked in films, Sex Pistols I worked with. Just looking at some of the things you did film-wise, I mean, you're in some quite interesting uh, British films. Everything from Up Pompeii, <laughs> which of course was uh, Frankie Howard, wasn't it? To uh, Patang Yang Kipperbang. I mean, there was a real variety of films that you were in. That was great, Pete and Kipper Bang, because I'm a cricket fan, so I love the John Arlott commentary. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the film, but you know, it's a marvellous film. And uh, Alison Steadman was in it and people like that. And it was like, just a pleasure to be there. I think it was one of the early films, if I remember rightly, because it was 1982, it was one of the early films that was supported, if I remember rightly, by by Channel 4, wasn't it? By Film 4. That's right, Jack Rosenthal and uh, people like that, they was all involved in it, you know? And uh, that was, it's just, it was unusual the way it was done. It was all done through a, a cricket commentary, you know? It, it, it was hard to explain it. I don't think I've ever seen it done before and I've never seen it done since. But just a lovely way of filming. You know, that sort of that semi-fly-on-the-wall documentary, but a bit different even to that. It was it was experience, you know. Of course, it was a love story, wasn't it, between two youngsters? Yes, that's it. Yeah, Love Affair, and it was John Arlott going, and up comes, I forget the boy's name, up come Frankie. He comes up to... It was just like a commentary, and it was just, just terrific, you know. And, of course, Peteng... Kipper Bang was the uh, the gang's word, all the youngsters, you know. Just going back to Coronation Street for a second, when you were on it, in it, of course, um, some of the some of the really old stars were still there. People like you know Doris Speed, who you know worked behind the Rovers, you know, as Annie Walker, and I think Ina Sharples was still in it, and Elsie Tanner, and people like that. Can you remember coming uh, across any of those 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 characters and actors? Uh, Pat Phoenix was there. I was quite friendly with she taught me a great lesson because uh, when we finished filming I was in London based in London she was coming to London and I was with uh, what's her name Gail Gail uh, we all got to the station at Manchester and we rushed to the train and some people stopped Pat for an autograph and uh, so I stopped she said oh you carry on she said but because like, I've just gone into it and she said, always stop for your public and sign an autograph, you know, and be before mobile phones. I didn't say about a photograph, but... Uh, and I've always done that ever since. I've always, like, stopped and spoke to people and I'm not that kind of uh, actor that uh, wears sunglasses because I was once told by a great actress that... Uh, why Bette Davis wore sunglasses was that she never caught anybody's eye, so she didn't have to talk to them. Because once you, someone recognises you when you're that sort of in something big, once they look at you and you look at them, they think that's the intro to talk to them. I mean, I can remember one day sitting in a restaurant with uh, my partner and uh, a lady came and said, may I have your autograph? And I just got my... just ordered the meal, you know... I said, yes, I signed the autograph. And uh, anyway, she said, I won't be long. And she came back with her dinner with her husband and sat in front of us at the table. <laughs> they wanted to join us. Luck would have it that uh, the manager of the restaurant, or the owner, he, he actually said to me, like, you know, he came over and said, excuse me, this gentleman's having his night out, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, you've got to be nice to the public because they are your... You know, they're the people who, like, sort of pay the bills or whatever. And when you're talking about Pat Phoenix and Coronation of course, at that particular time, she was a huge star, wasn't she? I mean, they became... Some of those early early characters and actors on Coronation Street became absolutely massive, didn't they? Yeah, she was brilliant. She was like a, 
I mean, she was in it, I think, from the beginning, wasn't she, of course, but uh, she's a bit like Wendy Richards. They had that sort of, like, 1940s, 50s style thing, you know? They were sort of, like, they was always smart, always clean, always tidy, you know, like... Uh, I was talking to a director the other day. He's like, it's fed up with actors coming in with coats around their ankles and all, they've all got to wear funny hats to prove that they're an actor, you know. That style thing has gone, you know, always be... Like Joan Collins, she's always always smart, always clean, always playing the part. That's what I like, you know. Yeah, I mean, you had that with um, people like uh, Julie Goodyear, didn't you, who played Bette Lynch. She was, uh, she was larger than life, wasn't she? That's right, yeah, yeah, and they carry on... Outside, you know, people say, oh, the typecast, but it's nothing to do with it. It's keeping the public want to see you like that, you know? Now, you mentioned that you, you had a face for um, a criminal and you played Jack Lynn in, in Law and Order um, and you, car- you carried on doing sort of crimey kind of things. But then you were cast, weren't you, in the pilot of the bill actually as a, as a, as a copper? Yeah, I was. I tried to base it on Jack... Jack Warner, like Dixon of Doc Green. Funny, Jack Bell, the old Daily Mirror TV, he actually wrote an article about the new Jack Warner. I thought I was pleased with that. I never got the part, but I was told, uh, you know, I I talk about it because it's documented, you know, I've had a checkered past. I was told that the police complained about it, about me playing a policeman. So... uh, I never got the part. Well, it, it had a funny name, didn't it, as well, the first, the, the original uh, bill? The Wooden Top. Uh, by all accounts, it, that's, that's what they called young policemen when they joined the police force. That, that's the name that they, they use, that, you know, you're a wooden top sort of thing, you know? like It's like when I say to people on in the film business, when I'm filming, they say, that's the rap. I say, do you know what it means? They go, no. And I say, it's wind up, rewind and post. It's in the days when they didn't have, you know, they send it to the lab to be, each night, all the film to be processed, you know? Well, I, ne- I never knew that. That's how you learn something every day. Absolutely. I, I, that makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Well, let's talk a bit about um, EastEnders then. So you've done Coronation Street, you've done all these great films, you've been in the pilot of the bill, etc., etc. Tell us how sort of, EastEnders came about. How were you? Um, how were you cast? Well, there was a real like peak bill. All the original characters. At the one of the uh, producers or the founder of it, Tony Holland. He, he his family had market stalls in Walthamstow. All those characters, he knew everyone personally. Like. The people we was playing, you know, like Lou Bill was his, I think it was his aunt, I think, or his mother. I can't quite remember. But uh, but Julia Smith, like the producer of it, she wanted people who had actually done the jobs which she cast. Like Ali's father had a cafe up in Blackstock Road, Finsbury Park. And uh, he, could, he could pour the tea out, like up and down, I've worked on stalls, you know, had stalls, family stalls. And uh, and Den and Ange, Dad run a pub during their drama school days, like, as, as you do. And, I mean, they were the only people I, I see now in EastEnders. When you order a drink, they could pour a drink and give you change. Now the drinks are all set under the bar sort of thing. They, you know, they come up with, like, the head on the beer, got a bigger head than Humpty Dumpty, you know. But no one ever gets any change. You never see the money, you know. Uh, with me, I had to have my nails dirty every day, like all filming, because I was working with potato, mud and things like that, working on the stall. The girls weren't allowed to, you know, wear makeup as much, you know, as, as if you'd done a day's work, like Angie, like Anita Dobson. I mean, she used to start off in the morning, you know, in the pub, Lunchtime, it'd be all the time the evening came because she was alcoholic in the program. That uh, a, a lipstick would be smudged and all that kind of thing. And Julia Smith kept their eye on all that. And plus, that they never only people who got really got a close up was at the end of the end of the program. 
So it looked like that you was looking in on this, like people who lived in Albert Square. And I can tell you a story that a woman wrote to me and said, Dear Pete, you seem the nice guy of uh, Albert Square. Could you give me the name and address of Wolford Town Hall? Because me and my husband and four children would like to put him for housing exchange. Well, I didn't. I had to take the letter to give it to Julia Smith, who said, I'll have to write to her, you know, this is... She said, at least you're all doing your job properly, you know? We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You yeah. feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do... Do your homies uh got a role in your in your little? You mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying. Oh, yeah, I'm trying, 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 trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. Look, 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 we all artists, man. We go, you feel me? We gonna have this like. Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I don't lie. play with it. Take that shit seriously. It was very authentic. I mean, it was that was the great thing about EastEnders in the early days. There was the real, a real realism about it. Uh, but I gather you weren't uh, early, right at the very beginning. You 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 weren't considered straight away for Pete Beale. You were going to play Den Watts. Is 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 that right? That's what I heard. Yeah, I was going to play Den. Yes, but because uh, you know I could work the stall and I had some of the old. East End sayings, like, you know, like... I mean, a lot of people say the Cockneys, but, see, most stallholders in them days and before that were costermongers, which, I mean, Shakespeare wrote a character about us, like, you know, Costard the apple seller. Well, our language is mixed up with East End Yiddish sort of thing. You know, we sort of like... It's like, I used to say things, and then they say, what's it rhyme with? I said about going a kip, and... Julia Smith, like, you know, up in, up in the God Box, she shouted down, Peter, what's it rhyme with? Because we have to do it for the American market. I said, it rhymes with nothing. I said, I said, when you watch the old British films, like the old costume films, I say My Fair Lady and things like that, everyone's selling things, you used to walk around the streets. Well, when the Jewish people came back after, like, the... Uh, was it King Richard or something? Anyway, when they came back with Cromwell, they said, well, this is silly you're walking around the streets. We will... If we all stand in a line, people have got to come to us. Well, hence the first market was Cheapside, which talks for itself. Well, when the holiday came around, Yom Kippur, like, you know, which is next, this, oh, next week, of course, yeah, next week... The Jewish people wasn't out. like So people say, what's wrong with the market? Well, the old costers in them days, going back a long time, couldn't say Yom Kippur, you know? So they used to say it's a kip, meaning the market was asleep. And it, it just worked out like that. And that's where the word kip came from, asleep. So really, you were drawing a lot on your own sort of experiences in that role as, uh, as, as Pete Beale. And I mean, it came over very real, to be honest. I mean... But, but this was something that you, you know, you, you were able to draw on your own direct experience. Well, well, that's right. Yeah, everybody did. I say, like, Ned's done it, you know, uh, Anita and Den. She wanted to make it look real, you know, not people sort of... I mean, to me, the magic of it was, really, it was like a costume drama. Although it was in the 80s, most of the houses and the things that went on around the square like that, was like sort of, it was like a costume drama because people used to remember them kind of things. Coronation Street was the same. You got your role as um, as Pete Beale. Um, had you, did you know any of the other actors? Had you worked with any of them before, the ones that you were directly working with? I knew Wendy Richard, of course, you know, who's now past. Oscar James, who played Tony. Sandy Ratcliffe. And of course, Leonard Fenton. Uh, the Doctor, I see Len quite a lot of... Well, I phone him up now because he's away, you know, sort of thing. Uh, who else was there? Uh, Gillian Telforth, Cathy. Uh, I, I watched her grow up. And called Sue Tully, 
because I used to have a stall in Chapel Street Market and they all came from there to start with, Sue Tully uh, and uh, J Julian Telforth and uh, I think that was all from there. So you knew a few of them before you before you started, which is which is um, a lot of people go into these things and don't know don't know anybody, do they? So you know you, you got a bit of a rapport with them, I suppose. You know right from the very start. Yeah, but Julia Smith was very clever. She had us there eight weeks every day before we started filming, so we all got to know each other, even the people we never knew. So what about the the family that you you were part of? So there was you. There was obviously Adam Woodgett. There was Gillian uh, Gillian uh, Taylorth. You were this little little family who were um, obviously related to uh, the, the the Fowlers, and it was you and um, Pauline, of course, with a um, um, you know br um, brother and sister, and you got Lou Beale and all the rest of it. I mean, that was really originally that was what it was mainly based around, wasn't it? That that family. Yeah, it's a bit like Emmerdale Farm with a Sugden sort of thing, but uh, yeah. But what the clever thing was as well, if you look at it closely. All the men in it were useless. It was a matriarch society, which could have been filmed in Manchester, Glasgow, any like working class area. I mean, I was always in the pub. Kathy had to look after the stall. She had a job in the laundrette, behind the bar in the pub. Arthur couldn't get a job. Pauline was keeping them together. Oscar was, uh, he was trying to bring up a boy on his own. He kept mucking that up. Ali was always out gambling. Poor, poor Sandy, like Sandy Ratcliffe. She, she was always uh, running the calf all, all hours. All the men was like absolute useless in it, like real life. <laughs> and you lived off the square, didn't you? Your, your family lived in the tower block, didn't they, if I remember rightly? Yeah, that's right. Uh, another thing, a lot of people said, God, it's just like my family. Pauline was looking after her, our mum, uh, you know, Anna Wink, Lou Beale. And all she ever worried about was me. I wonder how Pete is over there. I wonder what Pete's doing. And people say, oh, it's just like me. I'm the one that does all the work. And she's always worried about the other one, you know? That was, that was very clever. A lot of, rung a bell with a lot of the people. Yeah, I mean, it's true that. My mum and uh, her brother, my grandma was always, she was always bothered about my my mum's brother more than she was about about her you know and there was always a bit of I don't know a bit of rivalry actually between the women and I think I think that's the other thing is sometimes the old the the, the old mum often sees the son as you know the special one and that was as definitely a closeness wasn't there between between Lou and uh, and, and Pete and but yeah there was that thing you know it happened so many times you know I've heard you know people come up and told us that and I like social history you know and that's my thing but uh it's like, look, Anna Wing, she said to me about, you know, what, 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 how was your like, nan, like, sort of thing, or your mum, like, you know. I said, when you go to bed in the show, like, go, always take your handbag. Because in the 40s, 50s, or, which I mostly remember in them days and up to the late 50s, women always took their handbag with them all the time. Always, it's all those little things that, you know, Julius Smith said, Pete, what's so-and-so, so-and-so? I said, well, you know, this, you would do this, you would do that. You know, it was like she asked me once, where would you go to talk to someone privately? And I said, well, most people in them days, like the, like the villains that I knew, I only knew them, you know, they, they used to go to a church and talk, like before all these like, cameras and all that. I said, well, I said, a lot of people go to churches and sit in there and sort of they're doing like some villainy, some business. And she said, well, I'm not lighting in a church. I said, well, what about a canal? And that's when they done the, when they then got shot with the gun, that, they'd done the canal. That was my uh, contribution to that scene, you know? Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM, and if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you. Three men, one sketch show. Not enough time. What are you doing? I'm uh, I'm just recording our new promo for Distinct Comedy. What's with the voice? I, I, 
You know, I just wanted to make it all big and exciting. Build up the tension. Build the tension for what? For listening. It's a sketch show, not a blockbuster film. You just need to say something like, Hey, we're the imaginary people. Listen to our sketch show on distinct comedy. You might like it, if you're into that kind of thing. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's all right, actually. Oh, well, you better be quick before the time runs out. The Imaginary People, starting next Monday on Distinct Comedy. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and at distinctnostalgia.com. As well as amazing TV and film nostalgia, this podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo is all I can remember. Yeah, well, that yeah, that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. The fifth season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner cell block... Cell block B. Prisoner cell block H. Simply choose your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Kyber. Um, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> that, know. That, they're not bad attempts, actually. <laughs> and the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Mind of the Month quiz. What kind of programme was The Smoking Room? Oh, I've never heard of it. I don't know if I can accept that. Returns in October. That's another cracker, isn't it? They Uh, always are. (laughs) Only here. Let's just talk a little bit about some of the the actors that you're working with. Obviously, your son... Uh, in it, who's still there, <laughs> the real stalwart of uh, of EastEnders, uh, Adam Woodyett. Obviously, he started it. I think he was one of the younger ones of the younger crowd, wasn't he? If I remember rightly, at the time. Tell us a little bit about what Adam was like at the beginning, and 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 what it was like to to work with him, because he was uh, he was thrown in the deep end a little bit, wasn't he? Because he was, you know, he, I know he'd done he'd done been to stage school and most of it, but he was uh, he was pretty young. Yeah, he was he was very young, and uh, when he got the part. He uh, he always he said, "What shall I call you in the show?" So I said, "Just call me Pops." You know, I said, "That's what we expression we use." Like even my grandchildren call me Pops. You know, but and because uh, I, I used to go to work in the in the van, like before we actually started filming, and he said, "Could you move me?" So I said, "What, what do you mean?" He said, "When well, my father's moving to Wells, I think his mother and father just split up." I hope I'm right there, that's what he told me. And uh, I moved into a flat. And uh, we, we was right close, me and him, you know. I mean, he's, he's such a great actor, he can cry. Snap your fingers and he can cry if he's got to. And he had this photographic memory. He used to come in on a Monday when we had a producer's run and he'd say, Pops, Pops, what? run my lines for me, run, run these lines. And he only had to do them once, and he knew them, you know. Tell us a little bit about working with um, with Gillian, because the, the relationship between between the two of you, as 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 you know, as Kathy and Pete, was a bit fraught at times, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bit fraught. Uh, we supposed to be in the happily married couple until Pam turned up, Pam St Clements, and she was like my first wife in the show. I was a lot older than Kathy, and you know. So that's about that, really. We got on, you know, in the beginning. What was it um, like right at the beginning? Do you remember remember the very first filming, the very first scenes, the very first episode? Because that was the one. Weren't you in the very first scene? Weren't you the one who discovered discovered old Reg? If I remember rightly, am I am I right? Yeah, Reg Cox. (laughs) Uh, No, I wasn't in that scene because I think they'd done it in the morning and uh, not in the morning in the show and. uh, she said, you can't be in it, Pete, because you would be in the market at that time buying your stuff. And I used to laugh. I said, well, in that little van, because they had a little van because they couldn't get a big van because it would have blocked a lot of the shots, you know, from the pub. But but obviously this was the very early days when it first started. And um, I remember I remember the first episode, I remember watching the first episode. Uh, but nobody really knew that it would obviously go on to what it what it what it became. How long was it, do you think, before you realised how big it was becoming? 
I mean, when did you realise that, ah, this is something huge that we're in here? Well, when it started, the press was against it all the way through, you know, like uh, when it came out, they were still given us bad, bad press, really. And, uh, but of course, in one of those things, the public loved it. People was rushing home to watch it, you know. But when it started, when people started stopping us at the front gate, people's, you know, children turning up for autographs, uh, my corner shop that sold newspapers, uh, Ali, he sent me the press have been in and want to know what, what magazines do you buy? I said, well, at the time I used to read Canaries. I said, well, only the Bird magazine. She says, yeah, they want to know, do I, take, do, do I buy any off the top shelf and all that sort of thing. And uh, I lived in Finchley and at the time, and uh, I lived on the main road and above a shop in a flat. And one day I was sitting on the settee and a camera came up on a, on a, on a pole and started taking photographs of my flat. Les Blair, the director I know, he'd done, he done a, a, a show, I forget what it was called, he'd done a play on TV, and he actually put it in the play about a guy that was in a soap, and this camera came up and took uh, photographs of it. So that's when I actually knew, and again, like people stopping you, but that never bothered me, that part of it, people stopping me and uh, asking for this or a photograph. I was well known, I've got an expression which I use a lot, is treacle, you know? And what had happened were, then and his, one of his mistresses in the show, they had this long scene, and it was a bit complicated. Well, I was there to break up the scene at the end, just like say something, which was, can I have a pint? And anyway, it had different things going wrong, people like forgetting their line or stumbling or luck cameraman missing a shot or whatever. And uh, by the time it, I was sitting at the end of the bar, and it was so long that I thought, oh, hang on, I've got to say my line in a moment. I had one line and I forgot the girl's name. I forgot this mistress's name. So I just said, can I have a pint, please, Tweakle? And, uh, or Tweakle, so... Well, the next day there was people stopping me in the street. Can can you sign this f photograph or birthday card or anniversary card? Can you put on it, dear Treacle, and all that? And and then one day I was listening. I think it was Radio London or one of them, and they had this quiz about what does Treacle rhyme with? Why did Pete say Treacle? Because at the finish I used to call Sharon it, like Letitia Dean. I made it into her name, you know. I used to say, "Why oh, Treacle?" and uh, she, she, uh, so anyway, this program they were saying to treat all tart, heart, and that. And I just wanted to phone up and say, No, it's a social comment. The Americans always said, Hun, like meaning their girlfriends, like women friends, you know, Hun. Well, the upper crust in them, well, in like, in say, in the, even the 20s, 30s, and into late, late 40s, I suppose, used to say, Call their ladies sweet, all right, sweet. Well, of course, the poor in the East End, like Costa Mungers and Barra Boys and that kind of people. They couldn't afford sugar or anything like that, honey. So they used to put treacle in their porridge and uh, tea. It, it just means someone nice and sweet. That's all it means. But these people on the radio was trying to make, it's all trying to rhyme it. And I thought, should I get through and tell them and that? And I thought, no, it's a waste of time, you know. But that's what it means. And I still, people still say, all right, treacle, all right, treacle. Because I've got a lazy R, you see, so if I'm playing a part, I have to do my exercises like Jeffrey, Jeremy, Rebecca. As I say, because I had this short tongue and they never cut it when, when we was young. they never done it. Now they cut people's tongues underneath, you know, so it's more they can hit the T or that, you know. I do remember using uh, treacle and it became quite a, quite a regular thing, didn't it? And, of course, um, Dan uh, used to call... Sharon Princess, didn't he, all the time, if I remember rightly? Right, yeah, yeah, he was Princess. A lot of people use the word Princess, don't they? Yeah. But uh, yeah, mine was Treagle, so, but people still stop me in the street and go, all right, Treagle, cab drivers and whatever, you know. It just shows you what an impact that character made over, you know, over the time that you were in it. 
What um, what was it like working with uh, Leslie Grantham? Because of course you were his best mate in 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 the show, weren't you? That was a big part of your your character, wasn't it? The sort of being this sort of um, the, the 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 person that he or he'd always turn to, or he'd make his, make his excuses for if he was up to no good. You know, he's going to see Pete or whatever. Yeah, I was the one who had to get him out out of Angie's way, like so he could have golf, have one of his affairs. You mentioned um, Anna Wing. And I mean, she was, I mean, she'd been around a long time and she obviously lived to a ripe old age as well, didn't she? Tell us a bit about some of these, you were talking about how it was about matriarchs. Tell us a little bit about some of these women that you were working with, you know, like Anna Wing, like Gretchen Franklin. Tell us what they what they were like and, and you know, what, what you learned from working with them. Well, you could never stop learning from like, like June Brown, Anna Wing and Gretchen. I mean, Gretchen was like, you know, unbelievable but what the marvellous thing was I mean it was in Coronation Street in the beginning not changing the subject but you had like Ina Sharples, Minnie Caldwell I forget the other one it was like the Shakespeare thing, the three witches Martha Longhurst it was the other one Longhurst yeah in EastEnders you had Gretchen, Anna Wing and June Brown you know they was the three like uh, the three elderly people, then you had us like the younger ones, and then you had the real young ones. And that's why everyone got captured by it. It was for everybody and that. But Gretchen was always on the ball, Gretchen, always early for work, uh, always there, always working out something. Same with Anna Wing. She used to ask, used to ask all of us for advice, you know, she's, I told her about the handbag, you know. And of course, it was that East End pride, that working class pride. Anywhere. I can remember when Sue Tully had the baby. Like, you know, and no one knew who it were and all that. And, uh, and Anna Wing got me, Wendy, Arthur, Kathy, Ian to walk in the pub all together. Like, you know, because in them days it was sort of like... Uh, you know, someone having a baby out of wedlock was still looked down upon, wasn't it, kind of thing. And uh, it was that pride, you know, we we're going to stay as a family. And we all walked in the pub and everybody looked at us, but we never cared, you know. It was just, it's like working class people anywhere, from Liverpool, Scousers, Glasgow, East End, and anywhere, you know. But you could learn all the time. You could always learn from people. I still learn all the time, you know, like I'll watch actors work and uh, think, God, that's clever. That is what he's doing, you know, what, uh, you know, you just learn. It's one of those things you can never stop learning. I mean, I used to blink a lot. Of course, now I realise I was working on, uh, Jim Brown was in it. It was about Sherlock Holmes. And I was talking to James Mason, wasn't it? And Christopher Plummer, I think it was, yeah. And uh, I was talking to James Mason, and I think he played Dr. Watson. Yeah, sorry, Dr. Watson, I think it was. And uh, he said, don't keep blinking too much. He said, you just say your lines, but keep your eyes still. Your thought will come through. Let your thought come through. Don't keep hiding it. And that was a great lesson because I did have a habit of actually blinking a bit. And when when I watch some programs, I see people blinking away. And then when I watch American actors, that's what he said to me. Watch American actors. He said they haven't got a lot of theatre, but they can hold a camera. They will hold a camera with their eyes. And, and you know, if you watch a film tonight, it was a good American actor work. Will not his eyes will not move. You know, he just blinks. They say accent. He said blink and then hold them there. And that was a lesson I learned off of him, you know? So, you know, you, you pick up little things as you go. Uh, I know I was working with an actor, oh, I forget his name now, he's one of those actors that, you, you see him in everything, but can't think of his name. And I, I was at a table, and uh, I had to be nervous. I was, I was young these, these days, and uh, I was, I was tapping the table, like moving my fingers, like pretending I was nervous. He said, don't do that. So I said, why? I said, I'm nervous. He said, he said if you've got a mid-shot, they, the public will be looking at your fingers. He said, they're supposed to be looking at your face. See, 
and, and it's something else I learned. You learn as you go, you know. Just a couple of things about some of the people who came into the show then as you were there, and you mentioned Pam St. Clements, and that um, brought a new dynamic into your part, didn't it? And, I mean, she was a great, she's a great actress to work with, wasn't she? Oh, lovely lady, lovely lady, you know. And um, she, she's so different off than on, you know? Like, yeah, and we had some, like, because we always clashed in the programme, you know, like, because she was my first wife. And, uh, and, of course, David Wicks came in, uh, and Pete never knew that he was he's my son or not. And, yeah, it was just like what happens in life with a lot of people, you know. And that, uh, Michelle Collins, uh, I think, who is absolutely brilliant, you know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why she don't go to the States, I don't know. But uh, Some people like to keep their feet on the ground in the UK, don't they, <laughs> rather than going to the States. I gather you're still in touch, though, with, uh, with, with June Brown. You're still friends with June, aren't you? Yeah, good, close friends. I phone her up a lot, you know. She's uh, When I lived in Finchley, I was not far from the studio. She used to live with us, you know. Uh, stay with us, like, if you had an early call in the morning. She's just great to go out with. She's still puffing away on her cigarettes, you know, but uh, I don't think she'll stop now at 90-odd. I mean, you learn so much from June, you know. I mean, I, I was the one who give her uh, the umbrella with the, uh, the the goose head on it, you know. It's what you call padding out a character. You don't see them pad out a character now. They're more interested in what they damn look like on the screen than what the character supposed to be doing. I mean, I got a pewter mug because uh, I don't drink. So I had the pewter mug and I used to walk into a... I used to drink uh, them, you know, go out. I don't mean drink and drink, drunk kind of thing, but uh, a couple of pubs used to say, do you want a pewter mug? <laughs> I used to laugh, you know, but it becomes a part of the character. You pad out the character, don't you? It's no good turning out one week. I mean, in Coronation Street, you used to get... If you see, say, Hilda Hogden's table she'll have the same not cut loaf she'll have a loaf of bread hp sauce or whatever but now even the pot boys they just put anything on now it could be it's to me it's starting to go at coronation street it happens in a lot of programs you think oh dear oh dear why do they do it you know well it was like in, in eastenders of course um pauline um wendy's character used to always have a a, a bowl of fruit on the table, didn't you? Yeah, because I was, because I was the, uh, I used to bring the fruit in. Because I, I used to make a, I asked them, could I have a little tray? We called it a cotchel. So when I used to go around my grandmother, I'd say, Nan, I brought you a cotchel of fruit, you know, or a cotchel of, uh, it's an old fashioned English word, I mean, a bundle of something, a cotchel of fruit or a cotchel of veg, you know. But I, <laughs> I can remember one day there was a young girl, she was like assistant. Like, and she had to give me my cue to come in with it. And she looked at, looked in the thing, she said, what are they? And I said to her, well, you're new. She said, yeah, I just left university. And I said, oh. So anyway, we was talking and got ready for the scene. And she looked in the thing, she said, what are they? So I said, what? She said, them. I said, they're beetroots. She said, what they look like? I said, well, they don't all grow in a jar, you know. And she, I thought, oh my God, she's just this university and don't know what a beetroot is. I said, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of, the, one of the things I liked about the early days of EastEnders was, as you were saying, there was this, there was this harking back to sort of the, the, the Cockney sort of traditions and things like that. And one of the things that, you, that they, they did a, a lot of, I remember rightly, was the whole sing-song side of things, the sing-alongs and all those kind of things. And I remember I remember everyone being around the piano having a sing-song and that kind of thing. And also the show itself made a bit of a thing about it, didn't they? Because I think there was a big LP done. I remember you singing, didn't you sing Boiled Brief and Carrots or something on one of these LPs or whatever. But uh, just tell us a bit about that because that was part of the fun, wasn't it? It was great to have that to do. I think I think you all, you all ended up on... Wogan or something, sort of doing a a, a medley of, the, of all those all those songs. We don't hear those things anymore, but now. But it was it was great to hear some of those old um, Cock, Cockney songs. Yeah, it was a all command performance. Uh, uh, we done that the all the, the Cockney songs, but we we done a record as well. And guess what mine was about a boy I've always wanted to be, which uh, Leslie helped me because I'm tone deaf. I must admit. <laughs> uh, 
that, and we all sung these songs, and we, we used to have a night in the pub like it. But, you know, I don't know if it's because of the writers of all, like Laura Orkin and people like that, you know, have all passed on or retired or whatever, and you've got writers now, they just want to know about rapes and what goes on in the world and people arguing and fighting. But before it was all things like when the gas cooker broke up in EastEnders and we put it on my barrow and pulled it over to my flat because we were all going to have Christmas over there and uh, there was Gretchen and June talking about the war. Things that people like could remember. I'm a stickler for this, like... It was a costume drama kind of thing, in a funny way. It was in the past, but been filmed in the eight. You know, like in the well, it, was, it was filmed in the eighties, but it was about the fifties and sixties. You know. Having said that, I grew up in a in a square in the north of England in Yorkshire. It was a, a pit houses, and they're all squares. Um, and um, basically, and this that was in the eight. Well, late in the seventies, early eighties. And so, eighty-five. I'd be watching EastEnders in that um, in that square, and um, even then, people did have that sense of community. Everyone in the square knew each other's business. My mum would be uh, in and out of her friends' houses on the square. You know, there was that closeness there. So, although you say it's period to some extent, that there were remnants still existing of that kind of society. Still, yeah, I agree. You know. Uh... But see, if I, you know, I have discussions about this with actors or even all, you know, people not in the business, and I say, because you know, your mum say, I mean, I don't know, but my mum never went to work. Like, well, she did had a job, of course, but years ago, if I played in the street, all the women would be standing outside with their arms folded. You know, I mean, people say they don't know their neighbours. Well. Most people years ago had a low fence, used to talk to your neighbour over the fence and blah, blah, blah. Now people get a f house and what do they do? They build a dirty great fence around themselves. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, in those days when I was growing up in, say, in the 70s and 80s, everyone definitely knew each other's business. And there was an old lady uh, who would probably have been sort of Lou's age, I would have thought, and she used to sit outside on a chair, particularly during the summer, but even in the winter as well, and um, she was just keeping an eye on everyone. She knew absolutely everything that was going on in the square. She knew what time people went to bed, what time they got up, who went to work, where they went to work. Every, absolutely who was going out with who. She didn't miss a trick. No, I know. And, and, and I think every street had one of them when all the women used to be out. But you always had that one. And if, say, someone was, you know, say, say someone was having an affair or someone was, say, a plumber was going in someone's house, you hear them say... What's that man going in Mrs. So and So's house for? What's going on over there? You know, they said, well, everyone used to watch out for each other, didn't they? I mean, they call them nosy parkers now, but uh, but, but everybody knew, you know. Now testing in two on two. And there's another bonus soap treat now over on Distinct Nostalgia's sister podcast, Kelly's Heroes. I've got another terrific actor for you. Where Queer as Folk star Craig Kelly regularly catches up with some of his showbiz friends for a chat about life and to reminisce about the old times. When she burst on our screens, it's safe to say she smashed it out of the park. And he's recently been catching up with none other than East Enders legend Tamsin Althwaite. You do get a bit nervous of the people that you recognise because I was an East Enders fan before. It wasn't like I need to make a big splash. You just want to be truthful to what you're, you like, serve the piece, serve the script and make sure that you're as realistic as possible. They were golden time. I really enjoyed working there. That's Kelly's Heroes with East Enders star Tamsin Althwaite. Kelly's Heroes. Mate, that was beautiful. <laughs> Search for Kelly's Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. I will speak to you anon. New to distinct nostalgia. Dale, how the hell did I end up here? Based on a true story. What choice do you have? Tell the world that Rock Hudson is gay? You're a good-looking kid. I don't have anyone else on my books like you. How about I start to represent you? A moving 40-minute drama based on the life and career of Rock Hudson. Yes! Good boy. You just made the best decision of your life. 
Written by Tim Fountain and starring Michael Xavier and Betty Bourne. Rock! Rock? Strong! Masculine! Rock Fitzgerald? Not Fitzgerald. Sounds Irish. Nebraska, Washington, Hudson. Hudson. What about Rock Hudson? Get your coat on. I'm going to introduce Rock Hudson to Hollywood. Coming to Distinct Nostalgia on the 2nd of October to mark the 35th anniversary of his death. You gotta do something about your voice, kid. We're gonna snap your vocal cords. What? Ah. Louder. Ah. Listen here on the Distinct Nostalgia podcast or go to distinctnostalgia.com. Look, Dale. I'm dying of this godforsaken disease and pretty soon thousands, maybe millions, will die the same way. Rock. Winner of the BBC's first ever online audio drama award. What was Bill like to uh, to work with? Yeah, I talked to Bill a lot. Well, you know, again, we go to casting again. Uh, if you're born with a face like mine, yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with your face, but it's uh, an East End face. I mean, you go into a shop and you always get the store detective on you. You know, I mean, Derek Martin talk about it. You know, he played one of the Slaters in EastEnders. Most people, yeah. So I always played those kind of parts, but I'm good at good at comedy. I've been told I was good at comedy. In Fringe, I played a bit of comedy. And uh, But learning off of Bill, I've learned a lot more. I've talked to Bill quite a bit on the phone, like, well, once or twice a year. I'm exaggerated there, but uh, I talked to him, see how he is and all that, you know, and... Uh, I say, Bill, you taught me so much. And he said, I didn't teach you. I said, no, I watched you. I said, and I've, I've done a thing in a pub over at Leighton. It was called Goodnight Val Dunican. Again, I played a burglar. And uh, and it was in a yuppie's uh, flat. And then an, an actress, she came in, what, East End girl. And, we, and she was a burglar. We kept clashing, like, you know. And I've just played some, th- and it only post been on for two nights. It went on for four weeks. People kept coming back, you know. And uh, I always thank Bill for that. And ever since that day, a few directors have uh, gave him, given me a chance to play a bit of comedy, you know. Because I'm good at telling jokes and that, but that's not acting comedy, I know that. But, uh, but uh, a few people said, you got your timing. She said, I never knew you had timing like that. So I might go down that line a bit, but... Of course, you, you know them for playing gangsters or villains or psychopaths. I played a gay character, that's all right. I don't mind that, been in drag. Uh, I think that's my job with act, acting, and I'll do the best I can, you know. And, uh... Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I get that, I get that. Just talking about Bill for a second, though, the, the, obviously the thing that most people remember of, of, of him, apart from his rows and things with, with, with Pauline and with, and with Lou, um, but was the uh, when he went off the rails in the in in the show and you know had his mental breakdown kind of thing. I mean that was that was that was fantastic, wasn't it? Oh, the breakdown! Oh dear! I mean, God, the pub. The next day, the public even like talking to me. They said, "Oh, was he really acting?" I said, "I said he was acting all right." I said, "But he he went through the barrier." I said, "He went through that fourth wall," you know. I said, like, God, I said, we was all like looking on the monitor, let him do it, you know. My God, I mean, and, and you know what, I can never understand why they never, they never even show it on serious programmes, like people having a nervous breakdown or like unemployment and, you know, you couldn't get a job and all that, you know. They've never used it because it, it wasn't a comedy. I mean, it really, they've never pulled it out of the archives and showed it, you know, this man who couldn't get a job. I mean, I used to have a go at him for not getting a job, you know. That was my job, to like, character in the part, you know, why don't you get a job? Of course he couldn't get a job. It was like recession in them days, you know. You're right, it doesn't tend to get used much. You think it would be now because of all the talk about mental health and things. You think it'd be a great example. But um, another person we really ought not to leave out, really, of the conversation is the most much missed Wendy Richard? I mean, who went from that part in Are You Being Served, which I grew up watching her as Miss Brahms, <laughs> to playing this very different part in in EastEnders? I mean, she could, couldn't be more different, could it? And um, you know, you you play you had the pleasure of playing her uh, her, her brother. Yeah, and and I went on a honeymoon with her when she got married. Once we had, <laughs> she had to go to Australia, I think, the Daily Mirror, like, and she said, "I'll only go if Peter and his wife goes." 
So they had to pay for me and my wife at the time. And uh, she, <laughs> people say, you went on Wendy Richards, but she's such a character, you know, and uh, I miss her a lot, you know, it's kind of a, up, up where she used to live and have a talk and a drink and we used to have charities. I used to auction stuff at the charities for her and that. But of course, I went, I went to see her in pantomime one year. I'd finished and uh, she had another couple of weeks to go. And she came out the dressing room, uh, out the stage door, and I was outside. And uh, she, it was like, so it's going back to about the 1940s. She had a cigarette holder with a cigarette in it and a fur coat. It could have been Bette Davis walking out, you know? She was that, it's the part of the business I loved that's died, you know? That sort of don't stop acting, you know? Like, it's great. But of course, she's gone now, passed, and uh, yeah, no, it's very, it's, it's very, it's very, it's very sad that, we, that she's not around anymore because she was, she was fantastic. But you're right about that sort of larger than life kind of thing. And actually, in a way, you know, going full circle back to what we talked about earlier on about um, Coronation Street and people like uh, you know Elsie Tanner and uh, and and uh, Julie Goodyear and people like that. Um, of course, Granada in the '60s and '70s was, in a way, the equivalent of Britain's sort of Hollywood wasn't it really because these were these were people who you know suddenly they were massive stars huge household names and that in a way was the equivalent of what you would have had in Hollywood with the with the big uh, female stars back then that's right uh, you know I say Pat Phoenix she was always like got to the station when we used to finish like every Friday was all us to get back to London Gerald was living in London and uh uh but she was, she just walk up that platform, Pat Phoenix, you know, cigarette thing, stop, talk to people. So, you know, you get this train, I'll get the one behind. I'm talking to my public, you know, before I learnt a lesson there, you know, because she was loved by everybody, you know, because it must come through on the screen. It must do. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And definitely, definitely. And of course, she, um, sadly, like when she was taken too soon as well, wasn't she? She, she um, died of cancer quite young in the in 1980s and that was uh very sudden married um tony booth um in in her latter days didn't she in the last few days when she was you know on the deathbed she basically got got married if i remember rightly tony blair uh, tony it, what? yes there is a link to tony blair <laughs> it, it was um cherry tony booth who married uh pat phoenix was sherry blair's tony booth's daughter isn't it that's that, that's right, yeah, that's right. Sherry 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 Blair is is Tony Booth's or was Tony Booth's daughter, yeah. Yeah, because I used to speak to Tony. I used to I used to go to a pub in Hampstead. It was well, it was an actors' pub. There was oh, me, Ronnie Fraser, Hurt, Jimmy Hurt, uh, Glyn Owen, Ian Henry, all gone now. You know, like great pub, great days. But you know, so many people. That I can remember. T- John Hurt coming in, he's not going for an audition. Ronnie Fraser said to him, what are you going for? He said, I'm going to play a, a gay guy. So he said, and Ronnie Fraser said to him, well, what about your career? And he said, Ron, he said, I've not worked for three years. And of course he went on to play Quinton Crisp. He got the part. <laughs> Didn't he do that brilliantly? I mean, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Unbelievable, wasn't it? You know, like, didn't overplay it, he didn't like, you know, just played it as, you know, I look at it sometimes and think, yeah, I could do, do that, what, what he'd done there. I don't like copying actors, but you just learn different things, don't you? You know, if you see any more people play Henry VIII and throw that chicken bone over their shoulder, I go mad. Henry VIII didn't do it, Charles Lawton done it. <laughs> it's true, it's true, isn't it? It's true. Tell us a bit about um, leaving EastEnders because you were there till what? Was it about ninety three, ninety four? What? Why did you decide to, to leave? Was it your choice, or, or did some? Did they decide to get rid of you? What, what was the decision? The producer at the time said, "I can't think of no more storylines for you." I said, "We'll get rid of the writers." Then they didn't go down well. But uh, anyway, I, you know, I've gone on from there. Do me, do what I've got to do. I like doing Fringe as well. I, I quite like that. What what did they do with Pete? I can't remember. I mean, they killed they killed Pete off, didn't they? Is that right? But how did they kill him off? I can't remember. Yeah, I was having an affair with uh, someone's wife, and I ran away with her. And they posted caught me on the motorway and shot me. And uh, 
that sort of thing. And of course, of course uh, the greatest thing through her, uh, because June Brown I've known for years, I mean, she walked out then, I made her go back. She said, no, I'm not having this. And she, and she turned the job in. And uh, she, she went back about, about four years later, didn't she? A fair while, I said, I kept saying, June, go back. I said, you've got a family to keep and all that. She said, no, the way you've been treated, you know. But uh, that's the business, so, you know, I'm not the first, I won't be the last, you know. It's a, it's a, funny, it's a funny old game, isn't it? But what's interesting, of course, is that Gillian's character was eventually killed off, Cathy, and, and now she's, um, she's been brought back from the dead, so Pete could come back as well at some point in the future. They could have him back, because only Wendy looked at the, uh, see the body, she could have realised it wasn't me, but said it was and that. But When you look back at EastEnders, obviously a, a big period of time in your life in terms of um, being known, it certainly, I mean, you've done lots of other things, but I suppose in a way, um, you'll be known for 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 Pete Pete Beale more than anything else, possibly. Um, how did it sort of alter your life, and was it for the for the good or the bad? How do you feel about it when you look back at it now? It's never altered my life because I've got the same friends I went to school with. Mind a few of them have passed on. I don't go to many do's. Uh, I like going to my theatre. I've never really changed and. It sounds like I'm, you know, building myself up here, but everyone says, you know, I never changed when I was in it. They all had their BMWs and everything else. I used to go to work in my market van, a big Luton van. Even the security men used to laugh. They said, don't understand you. I said, listen, I've been in this business a long time. I said, my accountant says, do this, buy that. I said, I could be out of work next year when the contract runs out. I said, then what? I've got to pay for this. I've, I've never really changed, you know? I hope I haven't. See, one of the other great things about EastEnders is, if you've been a, a study of it, is that every scene, in the first scene, it might be me and Kathy getting up in the morning. I don't mean getting out of bed, I mean like having breakfast or whatever. Or it, and then the next episode might be Den and Ange up in, upstairs having their breakfast and getting ready to go to the pub. Or it might be Ross Davison and Shirley Sherrington. Uh, it may be uh, in it sort of a day. And then it would work into the market. Lunchtime, people milling about. And then in late afternoon, they'll all be coming in the pub with their shopping bags and all that. And then someone would finish the show. It might be Den and Ange or what, any, anybody, Sally and Nedge. Uh, and it, it'd be them in the evening so it, it felt like a day now well something like watch it and I think well where am I now what time of day is it you know if you if you get some of the old episodes but every time I say it people say you're having a go at EastEnders I said I'm having a go at it at all I loved it it served me well I just like I like to see that magic come back and then again it was only twice a week so people had Tuesday and Thursday. I mean, people said, I shone from work. Uh, I, I, I was talking to a, a guy years later who had a firm. He said, I wouldn't mind no one would work overtime on the Tuesday and Thursday. They all wanted to get home. But once they go five days a week, four days a week, people look in, look out, look in, look out. You know, and you just pick up where you left off sort of thing. And then again, there was only, I think, 15 characters we started with, maybe one or two more can't quite remember. Now you get people turn up, then you don't see them for about five weeks. So people tell me. And then he said, and also they turn back up in it for a couple of weeks and then they disappear again. But, you know, what can you do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously changed over the years and I suppose these things do evolve. But I think that, I personally think there's definitely too many episodes of all of the soaps in the sense that I think you look forward to it in the past when it was a couple of episodes and they were special. You treated them as a special moment in the week that you'd settle down and, and sort of take on board what was going on and actually watch them properly. Now there's just too much to, to keep up with. And I think the other thing is for me is that there's not, um, you know, one time it was a, it was very much about the dialogue as well and Coronation Street and EastEnders, whereas now it's all about action and things and not so much about the, the words and the dialogue. And I think that's something that's, um, you know, um, changed for the worse actually in many ways because... 
you know, I think that was part of it, part of its charm in a way. Yeah, its charm was like families, actual families. Now it's, you know, it's families, but they're all arguing. You know, I mean, people just want to see the the comedy of it and that, or the the social comment of it. Now it's everyone's like either like having a row with this one or shouting at this one and. Uh, I think the dialogue's changed in the sense that mo most people were uh, oldies, like Anna Wing, uh, Gretchen, they had a bit of charm. Now everybody wants to be tough. No one looks like they're doing a day's work or going out for the evening. Julia Smith would not have stood it, you know. You know, I mean, even my working clothes in EastEnders, I kept. It, I had to keep them in my dressing room. Not only me, everybody. And the, and the uh, dressers used to make sure that they was clean, but not around or anything. Had to look real, you know. But of course, you talk like this, and I'll get told off. Then I'll get. <laughs> but that's me, you know. If I was direct, you know, I would say no. I'm not having that. You know, you got to have. Uh, but 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 you've you've um you know EastEnders was a, a I presume when you look back though you look back at it with with a tremendous affection at the time that you were. You were in it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been very lucky. I've, I think I've been on, on three of the greatest things. You know, others, but I mean, I was in Coronation Street, uh, not for long, admittedly. Uh, EastEnders and Law and Order, like that four one-hour drama things. And I know, you, you know, there was a the who are about the, the leaving and being killed off, whatever. Do you regret that? Do you think it would have been nice? Would you have liked to have carried on playing Pete? For a good few few more years, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I was at the age where I wasn't too silly with my money. Uh, I'd, I'd been in like things before, of course. You know, you when you're younger, you get your check, and then you go out and spend it out with you know, in my day, discos and girls and all that. And and people used to say, I say, go on, skin a few months later, and they say. I see you on telly last night. I said, yeah, but I was paid for that about four months ago, you know. Uh, but I've always gone to work. My dad was a strict socialist, so uh, I always went to work. I still do. I mean, I've got a van now, and if I'm not doing anything, uh, I, I work with a couple of friends, and uh, one's a decorator. I do a bit of decorating and, you know, all this sort of thing, a bit of buying, a bit of selling. And, I mean, actors don't retire they just carry on till no one wants them don't they or they forget who they are kind of thing peter dean who played peter beal uh or pete beal uh in eastenders thank you very much indeed uh for talking to us it's been uh, absolutely wonderful well I'd just like to say the same what i always just say in the market if the mattress gives in i'll see you in the spring <laughs> fabulous thank you thank you thank you very much indeed peter brilliant Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And you can hear lots more programmes via the Distinct Nostalgia player. June Brown talks about the early days of EastEnders. I wouldn't like her for a neighbour, not in the old days, because she was a right old gossip and, <laughs> and she was prejudiced a lot. Yeah. But uh, they used her to get rid of prejudice, you know, particularly in the gay storyline with Michael Cashman. Yeah. Henry Kelly is back and going for gold. In any quiz programme, You've got to concentrate on what the point is. And I have to watch my breathing. We learned how to control me, the contestants, and the computer. That was part of the gimmick yes. of going for good. Yes. These programmes and many more are all available now at distinctnostalgia.com. Get in touch via the Contact Us page on the website. Bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.